0: Welcome to episode 52 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, dialing in from Isla Murata, Florida, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sack. Let's get started with my first topic. This week, Telefonica and Microsoft announced a 5G Edge tie-up. Um, nothing you know, from my perspective spectacular news-wise here. Um, you know lots of operators are partnering with public cloud providers, you know for for edge enablement. Um we've talked about uh, Amazon Web Services and Verizon um, quite extensively. So you know are they is telephonica late to the party with Azure? Not necessarily. You know, we've also talked about the fact that you know given some of the hurdles that uh, EU countries have to go through, um, with um, you know spectrum licensing and that sort of thing, you know, in all these individual countries, it's a lot more complicated. So, I think it's good news. I mean, they spoke to some of the same um, capabilities that we've heard from Verizon and other operators, such as you know enabling widespread digital transformation, Industry 4.0, and the automation of of manufacturing. So, um, I think it's a natural progression. Um, certainly, from my perspective. I believe AWS is still in the pole position, um, but Azure has really closed the gap. And I've talked about Azure and um, their their acquisitions that have really helped um, catapult them into a solid number two position. Um, I do expect that we're gonna start hearing a lot more from uh, GCP, from Google Cloud, um, because they have been somewhat late to the party. But uh, do you have anything to add here, Angel?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that um, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily late to the party. I would say that they are later to the party uh, sure. because I don't think it's necessarily um, crucial or critical right now to have this capability, mm-hmm. but I do think the earlier you have it out there and you have it deployed and you start using it, uh, the the longer time you have to figure out the kinks and mm-hmm. refine experience and make it a seamless integration with 5G edge and applications and all that kind of stuff so yeah like you said Microsoft is still trailing Amazon web services but I do think it's 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 a big one because telephonic is a very big carrier um, mm-hmm. they, have, they have operations globally so you know, they're like a Vodafone where they influence a lot of different countries simultaneously.
0: Yeah, and this is a great win for Microsoft, no doubt. You know, we, I can say they're fashionably late to the party. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't know the specifics behind whether Telefonica put out a tender, but certainly I, my assumption would be they probably did. And this was a very strategic opportunity for Microsoft Azure uh, to win. And so, you know, I believe there are probably other things behind the scenes here. There, there might be some additional um, capabilities that Microsoft can bring to bear uh, with respect to helping Telefonica, you know, monetize new 5G enterprise services just beyond edge enablement. So, um, you know, there, there are probably some, some other factors behind the scenes, but this is certainly a great win for Microsoft. But with that, let's move to your first topic this week, and you want to talk about a GSA 5G report.
1: Yeah, so once again, GSA does these reports monthly. So I, I actually like to follow them because they are very good at gathering data. That's, that's actually real data that's constantly being tracked. Um, so they said that they found that there uh, are now 756 announced 5G devices, which is 7.5% over last month and 28.6% higher than the beginning of the year. And then there's 468 commercially available devices in the 5G 5G devices, which is 28% higher than the beginning of the year as well. So announced devices and launched devices are both basically moving at the same rate. Um, And it's 61.9% of announced devices are already commercially available. So it's not like there's a vast majority of announced devices and none of them are launching compared to where we were maybe a year or two ago when we, we had a ton of announced devices, but they were starting to just trickle out little by little. So yeah. um, they said there's 22 different form factors and um, there's 124 different vendors who have announced available or forthcoming 5G devices, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's just 135 C- FWA fixed wireless CPE devices, both indoor and outdoor, mm-hmm. um, which 54 of those are commercially available. So okay. there's there's a rich and broad ecosystem out there. Um, there's 387 phones, uh, and 330 of those have launched. Um, so it's it's crazy. There's a lot of devices out there, and 5G has become you know, the de facto standard for new devices now. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, I would say, no, it's probably the majority now, Um, but obviously those numbers haven't come out yet. But the the real takeaway is that 5G is the dominant technology for wireless now. And I I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, If anything, 4G will pretty much uh, become uh, a budget technology probably for the next couple of years until it's fully phased out mm-hmm.
0: on so just point of clarification so on the 468 commercial devices so that that's commercially available or commercial as an enterprise type devices
1: those are commercially available devices got it, so, got it. Um, that's total including CPEs and phones and laptops and all that kind of stuff. okay. Three hundred and thirty of those are phones. Got it.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to get, get a little clarity from you on that. And it, lot, it gets me, I throw
1: a lot of numbers out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it gets me thinking. You know, if if I think about commercial purpose devices, it gets me thinking about you know some of these foldable designs that we've seen from Huawei and, and Samsung and even Motorola with uh, that that foldable razor mm-hmm. design that they yeah. annou- announced and. And and I've talked about this on prior podcasts. I think those foldables are interesting for commercial use when you think about field service and you think about um, you know equipping lightweight you know larger form factor you know devices that can that can be folded and you know and more compact and use things like OLED screens that are more flexible and that sort of thing. So. I think you know we've seen some initial foldable devices, but I really believe once you know we we see five G fully deployed around the globe, um, when all operators get to stand alone, and we start really seeing some you know very very innovative um, enterprise type services, especially around field service, um, I think we're going to start seeing you know even a new class of de- you know device like a phablet you know that that you know um, I, roll out yeah
1: yeah I think. Um, there will be more to to that coming very soon, mm-hmm. uh, in a very big way. Unfortunately, it was a uh, NDA briefing, so I can't say who or oh, when. But okay. it's coming soon. So yeah. uh, you you kind of you hit a thread there, and you didn't realize <laughs> it. But um, there's something coming very soon, so I'm very excited for that. Um, and we'll, yeah. we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast when it when it's public. But NDA. yeah, let's let's move on to your next topic.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. So I'm going to talk about my second topic this week, and Um, There was news this week that um, a new coalition was formed um, and the, you know, the impetus for this coalition is to lobby the FCC to release 12 gigahertz spectrum, which has been um, reserved up until now for low earth orbit satellite providers like Starlink that we've discussed, um, SpaceX on prior podcasts, as well as OneWeb and others. They're wanting um, the FCC to, to free some of that up and, um, you know, allow allow that to be, some of it to be repurposed for terrestrial applications. You know, from my perspective, because I believe satellites gonna play such an important part of bridging the digital divide globally. And and certainly I've talked about that. I've talked about how I I believe fixed wireless access is gonna do it as well. You know, from my perspective on first blush, my, my initial reaction would be Keep it, you know, FCC. You know, if, if I were making the decision, you know, let's keep it fenced off for, for these satellite, um, you know, internet providers initially. Allow them to build out their networks because, as you and I have talked about on prior podcasts as well, um, they're, they're going to be they're going to be launching a lot of these these lower orbit, you know, satellites. And um, again, I, I just think let let's let's allow the LEO providers, you know, access to that spectrum. And once those networks are fully deployed then consider doing that but this is a coalition that's made up of about 20 different you know companies that are lobbying for interest and i'm i'm certain that there are a lot of operators involved in that coalition as well but do you have any additional uh, perspective to share
1: yeah i think 12 gigahertz is an interesting band because it doesn't necessarily have the propagation characteristics of millimeter wave mm-hmm. nor does it really behave like a low band yeah um, but i'm sure there's tons of You know bandwidth available there Mm -hmm. um so i think it would it would operate something like a six gigahertz bandwidth um in terms of coverage um it's it's very interesting i'm not really sure how well it will fit into terrestrial Mm -hmm. use cases but i'm sure there are some applications where it might work well Um, and i think just having the availability of that spectrum um, in their quiver, and maybe potentially not paying too much for it, like they had to with C-band, um, might be a a good way to approach it, and and maybe not be as aggressive with bidding up the price.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that that's uh, that's wishful thinking, I think. Um, you know, I would, you know, I the FCC, I think, really needs to sort, you know, start balancing out, you know, future auctions with respect to you know, raising funding. But um, cool. Well, let's move to your second topic this week. And I was reading about this as well um, on, you know, sort of Apple's update on where they're at with their their 5G modem development, but you wanted to share some additional perspective there.
1: Yeah. So there was a report that came out that said, you know, Apple is coming with a 5G modem in about two years. Mm -hmm. So the time horizon was 2023. Um, I've been covering this since before it existed. Um, I was one of the few people out there that kind of anticipated that Apple would go out and buy Intel's modem division. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even warned Intel about it. Uh, <laughs> and and the reality is, is that Apple will always try to integrate as much of its bill of materials as it can. Um, and that naturally has moved on to the modem uh, that last what the last t- attempt they had was with the gpu and they nearly destroyed um imagination technologies by doing so uh mm. and then eventually you know kiss and made up and deleted everything as if nothing ever happened um, so they like to integrate their chips uh as tightly as possible and it's it's a natural progression for them to integrate the modem it was a matter of when not if uh, and now, m- my expectation is that Apple was going to probably do it in 2024, not 2023, uh, because mm-hmm. I kind of gave them a three to five year horizon from when they acquired Intel's modem division in 2019 yeah. for a billion dollars, which is a, deep, a very deep discount. Yeah. Um, and the way I see it is they're going to want to have their modems in everything that they make, uh, with maybe the exception of the Mac Pro desktop and maybe the iMac, right? But otherwise laptops, tablets, phones, watches, AR, VR headsets, everything is going to want to have 5G integrated for the sake of cost, power, and being able to add more services to devices that may may not have them today. So, you know, connecting iCloud more seamlessly across devices using cellular as that, that core backhaul and also, I think that if you look at it, Apple doesn't necessarily have to deliver the fastest 5G modem. They just mm-hmm. have to deliver one that meets their needs and expectations for bandwidth, right. um, for for latency, for power. Right. And if they hit on those, I think realistically they will very likely come close to the competition. That said, I don't necessarily think the Qualcomm's of the world are going to stay still and let Apple catch up to them because. Mm-hmm. Realistically, in two to three years, Qualcomm's going to be much further along than they are today. So, whether or not Apple's efforts will work out as they're hoping, um, we'll see. But the reality is, is that I think the market will continue to move forward and, and advance. Um, and I do think that Apple will absolutely support millimeter wave, um, and they'll very, very likely extend their license agreement that they have with Qualcomm, which is currently a, I think it's a four plus two year. So they've got a four year mm-hmm. agreement which means our agreement's up in 2023. Uh, And then they've got another two years to extend that licensing agreement, which they very likely will do because I have a strong feeling that um, they'll probably have to uh, share some patents with Qualcomm and others.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, like you educated me, like I didn't realize that they'd only paid a billion dollars for that business unit from Intel. Do you have any idea of like what what their development um, costs, their R&D costs are to leverage that and, you know, and build out this capability?
1: So there is no public uh, information on this, but I can tell you that based on what Qualcomm spends yeah. uh, and what Intel spent, it's probably in the, in the range of one to two billion a year. Because they, okay. they, they inherited like about a thousand engineers right. and they're hiring extremely aggressively here in San Diego, trying to poach as many, uh qualcomm MediaTek, huawei intel that maybe didn't come with the the deal right. all these different engineers that live here in san diego which is basically like the modem mecha, i call it the modem mecca yeah but it's basically like all the engineering talent for modems is basically here that said they did also announce that 5g uh silicon uh facility in Germany if you remember we covered that in the podcast we did. they were going to spend like a billion or two just there alone to build right. that facility. So yeah. I think they're spending well into the billions but when you look at Apple's revenue and 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 their profit these are small time investments for much larger scale business. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and you make a very good point. I mean it's very strategic because Everything's going to be connected, you know. Other than a desktop, like you mentioned as well. So it may seem like a, you know, a lot of money on the surface, but you know, when you look at, you know, um, Apple's market cap and their average R&D budget, it's, you know, it's really it's it's a slam dunk investment for them. So we'll stay on top of this, and you know, as news develops, we'll, we'll we'll update our audience. So let me move to my third and final topic this week, and I want to talk about a startup called AirWave. And um, this is really interesting. This was a light reading article that Sue Merrick uh, posted. And um, what this is a former, the founder is a former executive from AT&T and ZTE. And what Airwave is seeking to solve is to create a marketplace where they can put um, owners and operators together for small cell densification. You and I have talked about this on prior podcasts. Um, It's very difficult. Um, to get densification um, um, authority from local municipalities. Expect, and it, it, this has happened in Austin, Texas, my hometown as well. And um, it, it's a very arduous process. And so what Airwave intends to do is to put together, think of it as sort of like the Airbnb uh, for small cell deployment. Um, they are going to basically put Um, you know, owners of buildings and towers and those sorts of things that are willing to host a small cell together with operators and and try to streamline that process. And um, I think it's super innovative. What do you think?
1: Uh, My gut reaction is uh, the uh, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. (laughs) Because I I think you're right. There is um, definitely a gap between what operators need in terms of siting yeah. and who's willing to cooperate with them, right? Yeah. So I think it's also gives building owners uh, another opportunity to, to find an operator who needs their building mm-hmm. uh, in a way that doesn't necessarily take up much of their time. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, comes in as a, a fairly good opportunity to make money. And you know that this this system is great because or in theory at least because i think it brings like-minded parties together and Mm -hmm. like you said potentially could streamline the process in a way that could benefit the industry because um it it matches together the two different parties that are needed to make a small cell possible that said we also need the the municipalities to also be on board Right.
0: Yeah, they all have to all be part of, um, you know, the discussion and, and, and mapping everything out. You know, and as we've talked about on prior podcasts, you know, densification is critically important with the respect, you know, of deploying 5G, especially when you look at millimeter wave in urban areas because of the short propagation characteristics of the spectrum. So um, I think, you know, anything that helps streamline that process, we have just now in Austin, Texas, um, seen some significant, Um, densification, but it was, uh, I can tell you, I won't name the operator, but that operator shared with me personally that um, it was a very, very difficult process in my part of the world. So we'll we'll keep tabs on this and report back as uh, things develop, but let's move to your third and final topic this week. And you want to talk about um, the FCC and uh, their their call for input with respect to the the current silicon shortage.
1: Yeah, so the FCC put out a public notice on Tuesday uh, asking that, well, asking the industry to comment on how the chip shortage, the global chip shortage, is affecting them. um, Because we've seen it happen in the auto industry and it's caused, you know, auto manufacturers have to cut back uh, their manufacturing and and potentially, you know, stop some factories. Um, and, And basically, if you think about it, right? Silicon is what drives 5G, Wi-Fi, satellites. All of the telecommunications mm-hmm. we have nowadays are driven by chips. So the FCC wants to have a better understanding uh, by inviting the industry to comment on how it's affecting them. And we might learn some interesting things from this because it's a public process. Yeah, um, And it, it's an interesting thing because I think it is affecting the industry and we don't really have a full understanding unless earnings comes around. And, you know, we have different operators saying that, you know, this might be affecting their ability to roll out C band. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the reason why I brought this up as a 5g topic, yeah. um, because it affects 5g chipsets and phones, yeah. but as well as infrastructure and the rolling out of the network. So, um, I, I think we're seeing some, some potential, uh, implications, but I think the FCC trying to gather that is, is valuable because they're going to be the ones who probably inform, uh, you know, the Biden administration on how to spend that $50 billion in improving, you know, semiconductor manufacturing incentives. Yeah. Um, and I think even at CEO, John Stanky, expressed some concern about supply chain and how it was affecting their potential access to C-band uh, equipment. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, no doubt, I mean, it's, you know, we're seeing the effects with, um, you know, with automotive, right? Um, There there are certain, you know, automobile manufacturers that can't supply um, vehicles. Like I saw an image, I forget where it was at, but there were literally hundreds, if not thousands of Ford F-150 trucks that were awaiting, you know, final final silicon. Because if you think about it, you know, most cars have on average two to 300, you know, systems on a chip, right? And so I think that's a, at least making the public aware of like the real ramifications of the silicon shortage with respect to um, automobiles, which affects everyone. But, um, but you make a very good point. Um, silicon is at the heart of 5G, you know, and if you know, we think about Qualcomm for a moment, so many of the Snapdragon system on a chip um, um, solutions are being integrated into things like, you know, cameras and, you know, and IoT devices and and that sort of thing, and this could this could really really impact, um, you know, the deployment of you know of devices long term. So, and to your point, part of the Biden administration's infrastructure package is they want to spur, um, you know, development, you know, of semiconductor capability so that we're not in this situation again. But I, it's it's just you know it's it's been it's been a comical year and a half as you know as we as we kind of exit COVID and you know now we're in you know 2021 and you know we're seeing these other these other issues with supply chain pop up but um, but again Angela, another great podcast this week why don't you take us home
1: absolutely we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting if anyone out there would like to provide us with a specific five G topic to future cover in a future podcast. Please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Welltown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune again next week.